Welcome to Through the Line, the Agency Squared podcast with me, Andy Barjuri. In today's episode, I am talking with Nathan Whitbread, also known as the Neurodivergent Coach. Nathan joins me to explore the important topic of diversity with a particular focus on neurodiversity. What does it mean to build a team with people that think differently, that tackle and overcome challenges in a different way? Nathan explores some of the topics to consider around recruitment, retention, making reasonable adjustments, but also embedding diversity or neurodiversity into the way we're thinking and considering the opportunities that arise from a neurodivergent approach like greater innovation doing things differently i hope you enjoy the show nathan good morning how are you doing today sir Really well, thanks, Andy. Thanks so much for inviting me to come and join you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I have been looking forward to it as well. And I've got to know you a bit because we're both members of Drive, the networking organisation. And your specialist subject is an area that I don't think too many people are really talking about, which is working with neurodiversity or understanding how to work with that within the workplace. Yeah, I mean, there is quite a lot of conversation going on, I'd say, but it's kind of, I think it sits in very specific areas, if that makes sense. And yeah, I don't think yeah. it's, yeah. So I think you're right. you're right. In the EDI community, it's kind of rife, but then it's kind of broader than that. It's not always being talked about as much. Got you. And, okay. And, it, and I think there's something there about it quite often being seen as a problem to be solved than a set of an opportunity to be embraced should we say yeah I think you're right there a problem to be solved definitely so so tell me a bit about how you got to developing this expertise what's your background that led you to being an expert in this space well yeah I mean I wouldn't say I was an expert it's a grand word I'd say I was um I guess a lifelong learner on it because every time I meet someone new it kind of throws me a bit and that's great because it really challenges me to think about what I'm doing with it. But in terms of my own personal journey, um, I had a pretty normal upbringing. I went to a normal school and did all the normal things and completely failed my A-levels. And then when I did a, a foundation year that got me into university. Um, and there was something going on there all the way through about you're, this, you're kind of smart in one sense, but you really do completely fail and flop out at certain points in your life and what's right. going on uh, and that all came to a head actually about the age of 35 when I decided to retrain um, so I'd been involved in sort of business development and um, pre-sales activity for various organizations and I when we moved to Cambridge actually where we're based now I got um, a job in a in a quite interesting startup and got really interested in the marketing side of things so I thought you know what I'll just go off to the CIM and do some qualifications it'll all be fine they then talked to me about, well, if you're going to do that, you need to do these closed book kind of essay exams. And I thought, well, I've spent my whole life avoiding this stuff. So I talked to the person that knows me far better than I know myself, which is my wonderful wife, Sophie. And she said, well, do you do realize you do think a bit differently? Maybe you should actually go and get this investigated, like I had mentioned to you a few years before several times. So, so I went off and got a diagnosis. Um, and the, <laughs> a really interesting thing happened. The guy did all the tests on me. And he said, yeah, basically, you're not thick, but there is clearly a disparity between the person who talks to me now and the person I see written down, a huge disparity. And that's kind of called the spiky profile. So that was kind of the beginning of my journey in terms of working out 
about dyslexia and that's that's kind of the diagnosis I've got and I've also got traits of other things and then from there I sort of at that point that started a journey of getting support and to cut a long story short the people that kind of provided that support asked me if I'd like to come and work for them it was very fortunate because I just finished a contract decided actually that'd be an interesting thing to do okay and that took me on a journey really of going from doing what was actually technology training through to much more coaching. And the reason for that, Andy, is that I realized that this is all about processes. This is all about people's processes. And tools are useful, but process is the gold dust. And if you hold – because your processes are your own, you can slot in the important things as they come and go because technology changes. But we need to own our own processes and treat it like a project. And that way we can be – I think we can be our most effective selves at work. Got you. Okay. So really un- understand by processes, do you mean understanding the way in which you do things and how yeah. you get things done, basically? So you, you yeah. had this diagnosis, quite a late diagnosis, would you say, of dyslexia and, and other things? And that's kind of shaped your career direction since then. And, and I guess been. dyslexia fits within that bracket of neurodivergence, doesn't it? And yes. The idea yeah. that uh, we do things differently and, and that's okay. You know, we don't yeah. all have to be the same and having that diversity of thinking and thought can be quite powerful when you're building a team. So is that is neurodiversity all about dyslexia or, or are there other things that sit within that? Yes, yeah, so it's probably worth picking up some of the terminology, first of all. So when we talk about neurodiversity, we mean that has got its roots in autism. So there's a, a woman called Judy Singer, uh, an Australian academic who sort of coined the phrase and she was talking about autism particularly. Um, since then, the phrase has sort of broadened out to now really mean everybody. So we all think differently, yeah, to a certain or lesser extent based on who we are, our intersectionality, which just basically means all the components that make up who we are, you know, gender, race, social, economic background, education, work experience, all that sort of thing kind of comes into it. Now, within neurodiversity, you've then got neurodivergent traits or neurodivergent diagnosis, and that's people that that, that would have a diagnosis or have traits of a diagnosis. And I'll exp- and, and all the difference is that one is actually diagnosed by someone who is qualified to diagnose, okay. another person may have a screening or have noticed in themselves that there's things going on that kind of fit with that. And that's okay. Um, so, so, but, but those, they, they're called, that, that's what we would quite describe as neurodivergent traits or neurodivergent thinking. Okay. Now, if you want to talk about a group of people who are um, neurodivergent, you would then use the term neurodiverse. So you'd say a neurodiverse team or as, whereas neurodivergence, the individual just sort of get, and I, and I know the language is really tricky because it does move a lot. Mm. So within that neurodivergent umbrella, you've got things like dyspraxia, dyslexia, ADHD, the autistic spectrum, um, dyscalculia. Uh, th- there's lots of different stuff, yeah, and some of that stuff is from birth. So I we've had it our whole lives. Other stuff is acquired. So we've got migraine, PTSD. Yeah. Um, Actually, I mean, there's an argument, even the process of going through the menopause potentially can influence your thinking. So that may, potentially could put you in that neurodivergent category. Yeah, but, but be aware that, that there's lots of things can influence this. And Got quite it. often, the things that are acquired can look very much like the things that have been lifelong. So another one is FASD, which is basically where a parent has been drinking during the, the process of when they're having a baby, and that can impact 
certain things about thinking styles oh, okay. as well as other presentations so just it's quite broad <laughs> so it covers an awful lot of bases then as you say it's quite broad do you think that as our understanding around what neurodivergence is is growing that we're picking up more of these traits in people and recognizing different things or do you think um so so in other words it looks like there's a lot more going on or has it always been this way we just haven't realized there's just so much diversity in the way people think and behave and act i mean my gut feel and this is not scientifically correct but i think my gut feel is that it's always been there Mm. um i think one of the the key components of why it's not always been obvious is because of what we would what i would use the term of masking i.e people not being themselves and Mm. having particularly around the autistic spectrum having learned behaviors to mask social situations and stuff like that and and how to behave so we learn to cope, especially if we've been in the workplace for a period of time. We learn the social rules, but we treat them like a set of rules as opposed to necessarily something that's a bit more interactive and okay. that we're comfortable with. So I, I would argue this has been in our population for a while. Um, I would also say that lockdown particularly has been almost like a flushing out point because so much changed so quickly that that can be re- – that. For, for people that have neurodivergent traits quite often they will have what's called coping strategies or this project of doing life that was turned on its head pretty much overnight and things were different so that's one flush point but i think a lot of people coped with that and they kind of went into this is an emergency we're just going to deal with life then as we've come back to work it's now changed again and as the pressures come off suddenly the penny's dropping about actually things are different mm, okay things that were okay are no longer okay and that starts to start to ask the questions that's interesting so so let's bring this into thinking about the workplace then because you know the industry that i'm in is marketing as you know and marketing as a sector has a very broad base of appeal to lots of different people so typically most of marketing i think appeals to a variety of different people. So when we're building effective teams, whether it's an in-house marketing team or whether it's in an agency environment, we do tend to want to have diversity and, and different ways of approaching things. But that doesn't actually always happen in reality. And it's mm-hmm. easy enough to find you know, plenty of agencies that are entirely staffed by uh, white women or white men, for example. And, and, and then we're talking about um, obviously, we're talking about neurodiversity here rather than other mm. uh, aspects of diversity. Yeah. But why is it important then that we we want to think about these different traits, these different types of people when we're building teams? Well, I think if you took it purely from a commercial point of view, I think this is about innovation, actually, because from the the, the, the large number of people I've worked with and and my understanding the area. People who have neurodivergent traits think differently. That means when the you start that idea when you paint a picture, someone will paint a picture and look at it. And and if we all used to looking at it, standing and looking at it from the front, we'll all just see the front of it. But the neurodivergent traits are likely to make you want to wander around it and look at it from the underside and the backside and go, well, actually, what's that picture all about and what's the story it's telling? And that's the essence of what these traits are really about. I think for lots of people, they approach life differently. That has huge benefits, especially when you're talking about the creative industries, because it means you're not just doing what everyone else is doing. 
Oh, and I think, and, that, and that's so important in a marketing environment as well, is to find that innovative way of engaging, connecting with an audience. And, and if you can look at that challenge from a different perspective, it might enable you to to find a different solution. And we've talked in the past on the show about the need for marketeers to find influences from outside of their immediate space. You know, mm-hmm. you know, go out of the workplace, go to a museum, go to a library, go and see a show just go and watch people in Leicester square, for example, and get some inspiration from that. And I, and I guess what you're saying there is someone that's neuro, neurodivergent would do that just as a, that's the normal way of doing things for them. Absolutely. And the other thing to not never underrate is the fact they'll have a network of individuals that they're connected to. So actually you get an amplification of that thinking potentially, as long as that person feels confident, safe and respected within their environment, they'll be able to operate like that. But what you can't do is just expect someone to come into an environment that isn't what we would describe as neuroinclusive. You know, it doesn't allow them to operate at their most effective and just perform like that. Yeah, it's got you've got to work it out in terms of what they need to be their most effective, and that's around what you're asking them to do. You know, looking at the role, looking at the processes you've got within your organisation, and and working out what the essential bits are. And what are the bits that are actually negotiable? And that's where the team play comes in that's really important. So I guess where you'll get to with that then is is we're talking about making adjustments that enable people that have different traits to work within the team environment and, and to for them to perform at their best. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, what sort of what would that look like? You know, how how do you make an environment suitable for somebody that is I don't know, let's, let's just choose dyslexia for, for, for ease, but of course there are lots of other things. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't start with a label. I'd start with a person. I know that's not easy when you're talking about someone hypothetically. but And the reason why I say that is because if, so with these neurodevelopment conditions, co-occurrence is the rule rather than the exception. So that okay. means if you've got something, you like to have something. And that's because of the way it's diagnosed and the fact we're all these wonderfully complex people and some scientists have looked at some bits of it or some medical. But actually you see this kind of, this, this broader kind of co-occurrence going on. So actually, we deal with individuals, yeah? And I think it always starts with asking them what's helpful for them. And a lot of the time, for example, with dyslexic traits, and I can talk from my own personal experience, structure and clarity is really helpful. So if we're having a meeting, as we've done today, knowing why we're here, what's expected, and what what, what I need to bring, I know why I'm here, what I'm doing, and how I can actually be useful Whereas if I don't know that, I feel lost and sometimes thinking oh, I'm a spare part. Should I even be present? Yes. And then you don't get the value you need and I just feel disenfranchised. So, uh, which I know is really simple, but those sorts of interactions make a huge difference. And I would argue that sort of stuff is often quite useful across our organisations. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking that in terms of running an effective meeting, you know, an agenda where everyone knows what they're there for is quite important, whatever your background is, you know. Yeah, but it doesn't always happen, does it? <laughs> it yeah, it doesn't always happen, that's for sure. <laughs> and there's good reasons why, but it's kind of the stopping and thinking and going, well, actually, what do I need um, to make this this work? Just thinking about the actual, pro- I mean, things like, you know, expense processes, stuff like that, actually, how do they work? Because processes are often put in place for really good reasons, and I think that's valid. But we have to keep reviewing the why. Why are we doing that? Does it still serve the purpose? And ultimately, does it solve the problem that we put it in place to solve? Mm. And it's that kind of idea of a project. 
we've got to continuously improve and evolve. And that kind of answer that says that's the way things have always been done around here just doesn't wash. Because unless that the way things are done around here helps the organization be more effective and helps the individuals within it be more effective, then that's not a good thing, I would argue. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's the way things are done around here is a bit of an outdated concept, isn't it? If you mm-hmm. if you look at most organizations these days, they're always looking for ways to improve anyway. Otherwise, if you don't improve, yeah. you get left behind, don't you? So right. that, that makes sense. And, and obviously that, that innovation, that driving up innovation is a really key motivator for uh, an organization to want to build a diverse team what else what other what other advantages what else is brought to the team by having different points of view well i think it's i think there's that when you get to the creative piece as well is actually just working things out differently and thinking about your creative process as well in terms of how that's going to work that can be quite different because there's that, that adage, isn't it? If we just do what everyone else does, we'll just end up with the same thing mm-hmm. and we won't be able to stand out. I mean, I'm thinking specifically about the creative and marketing industries. So having those individuals come together, you don't just get the benefit of their individual inputs, but you get the the benefit of their collaboration. That we piece, and that could go anywhere, mm. which is hugely powerful, I think, from what I've seen. Let's assume then that we're happy. We've built the case here. We want a, a neurodivergent team. We want to address this within our organization. Mm-hmm. How do we go about attracting, hiring, and retaining that kind of talent? Well, the first thing I'd say is you have to be explicit, I think, that it's okay to apply from different backgrounds. I think that's really, really important um, because one of the things that I've noticed is with lots of individuals in neurodivergent traits they don't tend to have nice straight career paths they tend mm. to be very wiggly um for all sorts of reasons especially if they're working this stuff out in themselves but making it explicit that it's okay to not be okay at any point during the recruitment process is probably quite a key piece in terms of not creating that idea of what your organization is that isn't true and and set expectations wrongly if that makes yeah, sense it does make sense yeah and, and i was just thinking back about that did you say wiggly or squiggly? I think you said squiggly career path. Squiggly or wiggly. It's, it's just the, the same. way it works for me, <laughs> to be honest. But, you know, if from a recruiter's perspective, you're looking at a candidate and they have quite a squiggly all over the place background, that's probably setting off some alarm bells, isn't it? Rather than going, mm. oh, now here's an interesting opportunity. It's probably more likely, yeah. whoa, here's a challenging prospect. You know, so yeah, that's something just to bear in mind, I think, is, you know, you might be looking at candidates and it's causing more concern than it is appealing by looking at that sort of background. Yeah. So there is risk here. And I think that risk has to be, you have to sort that out with partnership in terms of partnering with the individual you choose to work, to hire. But there's also something as well about whether you're looking at their track record on paper or whether you're able to do something that looks more like um, a practical um, sort of not t- test, but demonstration of, what they can do yes okay because that's gonna i think you know especially when you're talking about agencies you know ultimately your agency will be have its uniqueness to it so Mm -hmm. understanding what you need and how you are wanting to operate and then putting that into a task format can be really helpful because then you get a feel how that person's going to work now i know that's a much bigger investment in terms of the recruitment process but from what i've seen in my own experiences that's not an unwise investment if we can get the right people 
Because if we get hiring right and we get r- the right people that really support where we want to go, that can be that can pay back many times over because they'll, especially when we come down the recruitment process in terms of making adjustments to the organisation if necessary to help not only that person fit in, but also help the rest of the organisation be more effective. Mm. I suspect, and the evidence suggests, is you'll have much more sticky people in terms of they will stay with you and they will buy into the culture and they will buy into the ultimate purpose of the organisation. Now, I know that is a big thing and that's quite daunting for some people to think about, but it's dep- it really depends on do you want do you want the kind of you know the hire and go and move on, or do you want people to stay and invest and be part of what you're doing and grow it with you for the longer term? That, that's a big challenge in marketing because mm-hmm. marketeers the tenure tends to be a couple of years, then they move on mm-hmm. to find a new challenge, uh, which has all sorts of difficult ramifications for the industry, but for mm-hmm agencies or marketing teams you know i think ultimately what you're looking for is someone to stick around you know five ten years is much better than someone that bounces around every two years and i think that that kind of squiggly career path paints a picture of someone that's not going to be around for a very long time so maybe when in terms of that recruitment process what we're really looking at here is ditching the old-fashioned cv covering letter interview and just setting a challenge you know we're looking for someone that can solve this puzzle we're looking for someone that can create an advert to sell stripy shirts i'm just referencing nathan do you you like bletchley i mean i've read this most amazing bit on bletchley park just thinking about and when they did the recruitment there they had all these people get into a room and they said right do this test but there was a ticker tape going the whole time in morse code saying if you understand this coming you can have the job really oh yeah yeah and the guy just got up and got it walked in got the job and he just went right you can all go the rest of you <laughs> that's incredible i haven't heard that story yeah there must be a marketing equivalent of that somewhere yeah but it's just that kind of idea i mean not that it's a trap but it's about saying actually we want you to come and be present yes and also you know if you get the, i mean i'm just sort of thinking about it more broadly if you get this right especially in your sphere what you're also doing is help people create a portfolio yeah because actually, if they solve it, but right, they don't make the cut for what you want, they've created another piece of material that's useful for them to take to the next place and say, look what I did. Yeah, that's a And nice, it was great. Yeah. And it was great. So you're adding value. And it's just this whole idea, because I mean, I don't know about you, but I've, the hiring process can quite often be a huge amount of investment that goes nowhere apart from that one or two potential hires. But actually, could this actually be a process that enriches people as well on their journey? That requires a bit of a mindset change, I think, for most people hiring talent, you know, is is we're enabling them to create a piece of work or something here they can use to build their portfolio almost as they go along, while at the same time trying to enable different people to apply and be successful in joining yeah. a team. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, Andy, but I do think the benefits, like everything in life, the things that we care about invest in well pay dividends yeah yeah and there's lots of you know there's huge amounts of examples of that isn't there in terms of our lives we you know we can go for the quick and easy and i think we've all looked back and gone yeah that was quick and easy but an half pain for the long term (laughs) 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 you know i'm just thinking as well in terms of trying to find that talent you know you can't just advertise a marketing role autistic wanted Mm. you know you need to to create opportunities for people to identify and i would encourage you not to because i don't think that's helpful What's much more helpful is saying that we're inclusive, but we'd really like you to be able to do X, Y, and Z. But there are specialist recruiters out there. So there's an okay. organization called NeuroPool, for example, who specialize in neurodivergent 
neurodiversity recruitment. I, you know, there's, there's a, and I think some of the big players are getting involved because, because one of the other problems with recruitment, particularly, has been psychometric testing. Because although it's become sort of in some industries like the, the the gold standard for for wanting people to do that, it doesn't. I think it disproportionately um, negatively impacts people that think differently sometimes because the psychometrics are based around more neurotypical thinking styles. Yeah, you can obviously also learn how to pass them potentially, and certainly that was my experience. So I'm. I think just it comes back to the why are we doing it. Are we doing it because actually it gives us some data that helps us choose people that work, we're going to be much more suitable for working in organisations, or is it are we just doing it because everyone else is doing it? Mm. And that's the question we have to keep asking ourselves, which I know is a tricky, especially when we're in that kind of keeping up with the Joneses kind of mentality in, in our industry. Well, I, see, I mean, you keep mentioning the data suggests that you know these divergent teams, diverse teams, actually there's a significant benefit to the business. So I think if you're mm. if you're looking for a data led decision, then look for that data. Uh, yeah, you know, look for evidence of where there's value in following this kind of process. And I'm sure there are brands. I mean, maybe you can say which sort of brands do you see that have got their a house in order when it comes to this uh, recruitment in this sector or re- recruitment and retention and I suppose yeah, looking I'm at not sure anyone's got it fully sorted I'd say because, but there are people making good steps in the right direction so Microsoft have done quite a lot of work around the whole especially the onboarding piece so they've got some really good videos on their website around things to consider more broadly around diversity so okay. stuff like actually how to bit you know how to think about how to make that interview process work well you've also seen other brands like gchq and i think ey are doing actively recruiting for certain traits actually which i'm not i'm kind of 50 50 on because i think it's more important to recruit for the attributes you want than a label because as we've talked about already, neurodivergent traits present differently in different people. So those labels aren't necessarily helpful. They're, they're, mm. they're lenses to look through, not labels to be worn, mm. because what you're looking for is the complete package of what the person is. Um, so, yeah, so I think there's there's a, there's a trickiness in, in, in navigating it. But there are huge steps being made forward. A lot of it's also dependent on the managers when you get to the actual coalface. Because again, I think we've all been through recruitment cycles where it's been absolutely brilliant going through assessment centre. Everything's absolutely fantastic. But then when you actually get to the role, you find out that the relationship doesn't quite work because of the expectations. And may, and that's not always the manager's fault, but it's just the way it's been set up yeah. because they maybe haven't been involved early enough in the recruitment process. So it's thinking about where that person's going to end up. God, Where's that actually misalignment between the recruitment process and the reality of the role actually is you yeah. know you can set there a process up for recruitment to really match a diverse audience but at the end of the day that person's going to be yes. doing a role that's the same as everybody else in that space absolutely absolutely and, and i think that's back to those kind of reasonable adjustments is you know how do we make this role actually suit yeah people that have different ways of looking at the same puzzle absolutely and, and on that note when you look at these kind of idea of reasonable adjustments, there's two broad ways of looking at it. You've got this kind of idea of the medical model, which is where you're fixing the person. I will give you stuff, Andy, we'll train you, we'll coach you, and you'll somehow morphosize and be much more what we want you to be. And then you've kind of got the the kind of social idea that actually saying, well, actually, maybe it's the structure, maybe it's the culture that kind of actually disables you. And that's where we think about processes, how things are done. You know, we'd already talked there about how we run meetings. How do we 
how do how do we do stuff within our organization so it doesn't disable people yeah and and thinking about removing the stuff we don't need to do and doing more of the stuff that we really do need to do because this i mean for me this all really builds this idea that we need to amplify strengths and help people manage the things they find tricky yeah and, and, and that's the best way to get the best out of anybody is let them play mm. to their strengths and accommodate where there are weaknesses and we all have weaknesses uh, uh, and you know shape that craft that job or that opportunity accordingly it's, it's quite a smart way of looking at it isn't it it's interesting what you were saying there about companies that have kind of got this switched on a bit was you know, i think it's a microsoft gchq yeah. which is the kind of uk spy agency or monitoring <laughs> listening agency and the other one was ey which I th- it is a large kind of management yeah. and accountants there are small organizations that are doing some re- so like in cambridge i've been working with um uh, a housing association that are making huge positive steps I think the key thing is the working it out, though, yeah. because it's not cookie cutter in in many ways. Yes, there are some overall kind of useful guidelines to think about, but we need to have conversations and work it out within our organisation. Yeah, because this idea that we just kind of sort of bring something in and it somehow sorts everything out. I think is, is 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 not helpful a lot of the time. We have to think about how it's going to work in our context mm. because we're the experts in our own organisations. So we need to work out how do we bring this stuff in and make it work in our organisation so that we own it and we're not just thinking about it as another, you know, another sort of, um, what's the word, another sort of initiative or another one. You know, we, yes. we've been through that and that's not useful. This stuff has to be embedded into the way we think about what we're doing. And... And that actually brings me on to something else that I've been working on with a, a friend of mine, Kelly Jubry. And and that's around actually when we think about the whole inclusion piece, how do we make sh- how, how do we make sure as organizations that we're not just doing the bare minimum, but actually we're using it as a competitive advantage? How how do you do that? How how do you turn it into a so obviously we've talked about enabling innovation and creativity earlier on that can in itself create competitive advantage is, is that yeah. what you're talking about here or are there other well, it's that as well but it's also the attraction of talent so if we're going to turn it to a competitive advantage it's actually making sure we're really clear about what we're doing and why we're doing it having the stories to tell which is i guess it's all about the marketing piece you know what are the stories we're able to tell about our organization our relationship with our clients that reflect that inclusion mm. And not in a pat way, but in a way that says actually, and we were able to, to provide this because of this, because these people can do this, because we can collaborate like this, because we've thought about this. This is our advantage. And then it becomes the very tool to kind of get our organizations out there and help people understand why we're great places to work with. Mm. And I think a lot of what you're saying always makes me think back to, you know, companies have got used to the idea of, making adjustments, making accommodations for different things, you know, mm. let's typically perhaps more physical attributes, you know, making a, a premises accessible, for example. And this is no different, but it's just looking at it rather than it being a, a physical challenge. It's something else, isn't it? It's a a, yeah. a, a mind, a, ment- a mental health challenge, isn't it? Or is it? Yeah. With the wrong terminology, isn't it, actually, Nathan, to be fair? Yeah, yeah I, I guess... There is, there is definitely some fit. There's definitely some, some sort of mental things going on, but or sometimes some physical things going on as yeah. well. I think the challenge is because it's not visible. If you're not aware, 
then those things can be construed as other things. Mm. So I was working with someone yesterday, you know, who was describing how she felt perceived as lazy, awkward, <laughs> inattentive. And actually, when we looked at, when we started to do some work, it, you know, it's actually the laziness was about overwhelm. Um, the inattentiveness was about actually what we were talking about in meetings just there. The fact she just could not engage because it just wasn't clear why she was there, what her contribution yeah. was supposed to be. And the fact that she gets really angry actually when when that's happening and doesn't know how to express that well, so just chooses to say nothing. Mm. But she's got one of those faces you're saying to me, or actually everyone can tell I'm really angry. I'm just not saying anything. <laughs> and that's really tricky. But how do you make that okay to actually just voice your concern and say, you know, imagine if we're having a meeting, say, you know, Andy, I'm really uncomfortable man, because I'm really not clear what I'm doing and it's really peeing me off. You know, yeah. that sort of thing. You know, and actually you to be able to say, oh, okay, I recognize that. Maybe we need to stop here and come back. You know, whatever it might be, but, <laughs> but making that okay to have that dialogue and people not to feel, oh, I can't talk to you because yeah. of the power dynamic or whatever's going on in the organization. I think that's just good management, isn't it, as well, to give people the ability mm -hmm. to actually say, hang on a second, Nathan, this podcast is going in a terrible direction. I think we should end. No, sorry, that's not what I mean. <laughs> 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 but no, good, good management enables people to communicate in that way, doesn't it? And if you see someone mm -hmm. sat in a meeting room with their really bad resting bitch face, you know, and <laughs> it's okay to recognize that they're probably uncomfortable in that environment, yeah. you know, perhaps they shouldn't yeah. be there at the next meeting or perhaps they get their bit done early and then they leave and then they crack on with their day and they feel like they've achieved something. Yeah, and I think being pro proactive about that is just really, really important. And yeah. you know, this is not this is not rocket science. It's about asking people and having conversations with people. Yeah, I think that's that's the key thing. Yeah, makes sense. Where should people go to if they want to find some data, some evidence that says this is the reason why you should be thinking about neurodivergence in your your people policies is there is there someone that's done some excellent research in this area that yeah so professor amanda kirby's written a brilliant book called neurodiversity at work with a guy called theo smith who's actually he's sort of a recruitment person but they're talking about all the stuff to consider and think about and also the data around there's a lot of data in there in terms of around the opportunity which i think is really helpful yeah it's also just a really good starting point as you start to explore and think about it more Excellent. Another one for my ever-growing reading list of fantastic books people keep recommending to me. Yeah, and I think there's a challenge there, isn't there? <laughs> there is a challenge there. I mean, yeah, the other thing as well is I'd say is we, you know, ultimately this is about people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's good to know this stuff. It's really helpful, but it's ultimately about people, and we have to ask people what's useful, mm. and not be afraid of that, and not be afraid to notice either. You know, it might be like you were saying, Andy, I'm noticing you're not really very comfortable at the moment. Do we, what do we need to do to sort that out? Yeah. Or is it nothing to do with us? But actually not being afraid to notice. You don't have to diagnose in terms of, well, you know, sort of saying, I can see you've got mental health problems, whatever it might be. You know, don't diagnose, just ask and just yeah. be genuinely interested in what's going on and working out what we need to do to move stuff forwards. Yeah. And, and and actually in in the sector that I spend most of my time, which is marketing, it's generally all about people anyway, whether we're trying to understand them so we can sell them more stuff or yeah. understand them so we can build a great team, whatever. It's, that should come as kind of second nature for those that work in, in this kind of marketing design communication space. Well, my only observation would be about that is from working in that the, with the health sector a lot, I have noticed that people that spend all day caring for people are pretty find it really hard to care for their own teams is that right okay 
Yeah. Because, and I don't know if that's about their cared out. And obviously we, we all know that the health service is under huge pressures, but I think there's something there. And I, I just wonder, I, don't, I just wonder if that's sometimes true in other industries as well. If we spend our whole life doing something outwards, we don't always do it inwards when we're yes. looking at our own organizations. That's worth thinking about. Thank you for coming on the show, Nathan. That's really interesting. I've learned some stuff. I've got a good book recommendation. You've made me think a little bit, which is always nice. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) Where should people go to find out more about you if they want to get in touch and get your assistance on how to build this into their thinking? What's the best way to to find you? Yeah, so you can. I'm on LinkedIn, or you can. I've got you know, come to the website, which is um, the the NeurodivergentCoach.co.uk. Yeah, and if you want to have a conversation, I'm really more than up for that because. I think this is about working it out and sometimes a couple of conversations is what you need to get started and it's a process yeah but don't feel you've got to get it all sorted day one but any movement is a positive thing in this area I think I get a sense that you're on a bit of a mission here to make a difference Nathan as opposed to just setting up a business to make a load of money you actually you really want to improve life in this space yeah I think yeah I do because I think I think coming back to that opportunity thing, I just think, wouldn't it be horrendous if we look back on our lives and said, actually, we missed all these opportunities because we just didn't think about this enough? It certainly would. Nathan, thanks so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Perfect. Thanks, Andy. (laughs) 